Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church of New Bern podcast. This is episode three. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky. I am the videographer here at First Pres. I'm here with Anna. What's up, Anna? It's Sunday, my favorite day of the week. It is Sunday. We are here. It's a beautiful day in New Bern. We are here on October 24th, Sunday, in the conference room, in between services. Yep. Uh, editing and, and recording the podcast. Uh, my first big question always is, what's going on? What happened this week at the church? What's going on uh, at First Pres? Well, one of the things that a member pointed out to me this week, because I didn't know, maybe you didn't either, is that we had a very special anniversary on Friday. This past Friday was the 200th anniversary of paying off the expense of our sanctuary. When this sanctuary was constructed, they contracted Uriah Sandy to build it, and the cost was $2,000. They $2, agreed to... $2,000? I know, $2, I know. $2,000 for the sanctuary? For the whole sanctuary. With the the big, the sanctuary, the whole thing. Yeah, and there wasn't a mortgage, but what they did was they agreed to four five hundred dollar payments, and the last, the final payment was made this past Friday, October twenty second, two hundred years ago, and so as we think about stewardship. we think about that and the witnesses and the people who sacrificed and gave to give us this sanctuary, which. On Friday, I had no idea about this anniversary at that point. One of the things that happened was that we went up on the roof of the J. Murphy Smith Center. We need to replace the roof that's over the gym portion and the stage portion. The preschool has a new roof. And we needed to meet with a contractor. So I went up on the roof, climbed a couple of ladders with some church members who have worked in roofing and listened to them talk for about an hour about all the different components that will need to go into this one roof to make sure that it lasts for a good 20 to 30 years and we don't have any leaks or problems. Um, it's going to cost more than $2,000. A little, probably some more than $2,000. Yes, but it was fascinating. And I loved, there's so many things about uh, going up there I loved. I loved seeing the town and the community from a different vantage point. I loved being able to look at the steeple and the weather vane. But I also loved hearing the contractor and our church members talk about how to do this well so that we can continue to be in ministry. Because a building is just a building. It's what we do with it that matters. And that's a place where we are open to community groups, um, basketball, pickleball, meals, preschool. It's a building where so much happens. And so stewardship is taking care of it so that we can provide places for people to meet. Well, that is great. Um, as I was uh, I was over there, what was a couple weeks ago when mm-hmm. they were grilling out uh, great food outside at the on the grills in the back. So... Uh, I've been to lots of events there, so that's exciting. I like to know what's going on behind the scenes about yeah, that stuff. That's I love our grill shed. That um, I love it. <laughs> As we look then to this Sunday and to the sermon, which you've uh, done in the morning service already, you're about to preach again in the afternoon. Uh, I We recorded it the other day, and um, which means I've, I've got to listen to the sermon um, a couple of times. Uh, I I really struck a chord with me because you talked about education. And uh, for those of you that might know me personally, I am a teacher in Craven County Schools. And the story in the sermon talks about you, Anna, when you were in elementary school. First grade. First grade. And I've only taught elementary school for 14 years. So um, 
I've been in elementary education for that long. And your stories about what happened to you just resonates with me as a teacher because now I work with other teachers that are just starting. And basically what you describe in the sermon is what teachers do every minute of every day with with individual students, with big groups. And that's just really choosing how you're going to motivate this student, whether you're going to be hard and, and, or you're going to be nice, or you're going to be smiley, or you're going to maybe raise your voice, or you're going to try this or try that. And that's kind of what teachers, and I think, I, I don't have children, but I think parents probably do that a lot too, where you're just running through all your skills, trying to motivate a student. She was an amazing educator, Mrs. Snowden, um, and we became family friends. My mother was so grateful. I mean, she turned on a dime. She realized that what she'd been doing hadn't been working, and she switched her entire approach. And my mom was so grateful. She volunteered in that classroom. My brother had her as his first grade teacher. We went to parties at her house, and she came to my high school graduation as my guest. Um, we stayed very close. She gave me such a good start. And, and just to love learning and to think that reading and studying was joyful, I, I think that's important, and I'll always be grateful to her. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I've been in education for so long, so when I see topics come up locally, maybe in the newspaper about things switching at, at in schools, switching to this, or the math curriculum switching to this, or this is switching to that, it's that same... Uh, those same choices they're trying something and when it they try it and go all in and if it doesn't work they accept it and they look for something better and they change and move on so uh yeah it's uh it's normal i guess for educators and for people like that Particularly in the pandemic, we've seen teachers have to do this so many times. Every week, sometimes, things change. I have been in awe of educators and, and also praying for all of our teachers and administrators as they continue to navigate. They, um, I am so grateful for the work they continue to do. As a parent who has a student now, um, I see how the teachers are responding. And I love the passage for today because it really teaches through positivity, which is how I respond. So this is an example, Jesus um, healing Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus does more than Jesus asks of him. And it really brought to mind this one quote. It's an older quote from Marianne Williamson. She said, we ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people will not feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Beautiful quote. Um, I think we'll think about this uh, throughout the week. And uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. And this is a great place for you to uh, listen to the sermon for the first time. Again, to listen to it while you're commuting or jogging. And uh, we're excited to record it for you each week. 
I am grateful that you're helping us do all of this, Paul Scott. You are a blessing, and I'm grateful for the way your light shines. So, let's worship. Let us pray. Gracious God, illumine these words by your Spirit, that we might hear what you have us to hear, and see what you call us to see, and be who you would have us be, for the sake of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Mark, and we are still in the 10th chapter, the end of the 10th chapter, starting with verse 46. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man and said to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, this text is something of a relief. After several challenging texts from this portion of Mark, the man who goes away grieving, James and John, who don't seem to know what to say or how to understand what Jesus is saying, we finally have a text that teaches us about discipleship in the positive rather than the negative. In the recent chapters of Mark, we have encountered many people who do not see. Peter, who doesn't see what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. Peter, James, and John, who don't see the importance of the transfiguration and want to stay on the mountain. The disciples who cannot see the importance of prayer and healing the boy with the unclean spirit. Those who do not see that the greatest must be the least. Those who don't see the importance of little children or see the gift in letting go. Or James and John who do not see that the glory of God will be when he is crucified, buried, and then resurrected, despite Jesus' tellings of it. After all of these people, all of these circumstances where people do not see, we finally encounter someone who does see, and it is a blind man. We all learn in different ways, of course. That's why Jesus uses different methods to teach, different styles of teaching. Jesus taught in parable and prayer and example. But it's no surprise to me that I find this reading from Mark to be so joyful and helpful. 
Maybe you, like me, do best when you are instructed in the positive way rather than the negative. One of my earliest memories of school is from the first grade. After only a few weeks of going to the first grade, I decided that I didn't want to go anymore. And so I started having stomach aches every morning and telling my mother I couldn't go to school. I found out later that the reason was, was that my teacher thought I was smart. And so to encourage me, she corrected me frequently. She was hard on me, thinking that that would help me to get better and do better and achieve my potential. Well, after a couple of weeks of staying home every morning and being taken into school late when my stomach ache would miraculously get better, my mother finally had a conference with my teacher, Mrs. Snowden. They compared notes, and at the end of the meeting, Mrs. Snowden said, don't worry, I'll take it from here. And the next day, because she was an amazing educator, Mrs. Snowden changed her entire approach toward me. Instead of being critical and correcting me, she praised me, she encouraged me. And it only took a few days before I would do anything Mrs. Snowden asked, and I wanted it to be better than I had ever done it before. I wanted to excel. It was a 180 degree turn. I tried anything she would ask me to do because she taught me in the positive. So if you are like me, this text is for you. And the focus of it is a blind man. Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem. In fact, if we were to stay in the Gospel of Mark, next week would be Palm Sunday. But he goes to Jericho, a historical city. We don't find out what he does there. We only know that he arrives and then he leaves. What's the significance of Jericho? Certainly Mark has a point in mentioning it. We're not sure, but D. Mark Davis points out that the last time someone shouted outside of Jericho, the walls fell. And someone does shout in this text, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, blind, a beggar on the side of the road, considered unclean by society. The son of Timaeus calls out to Jesus and says, son of David, have mercy. Son of David, the Messiah. The blind man sees and he cries out. The word here in Greek, kradzin, is supposed to be something of onomatopoeia. It's supposed to sound like a raven's cry, to be a piercing word. This man cried out with a strong voice that could not be ignored. The crowd rebukes him. Are they offended by his sound? Are they struck by the impropriety of a beggar calling out? Is this beggar not worthy of speaking? Or are they scared because they know that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem where he is not welcome, where he will not be safe? Are they worried that if this blind man continues to shout out, they could all get in that kind of good trouble? So they rebuke him. What does the blind man do? What does he do with the good news that Jesus is in his midst? He cries out even louder. He will not remain silent. Well, Jesus hears him and he also hears the people. He will not let their rebuke of this man stand. He calls the unclean man to come to him. Have courage, the blind man is told. Don't be afraid. Jesus is calling you. 
Interestingly, while the cry of the blind man is supposed to emulate a raven's cry, the word used for Jesus calling him over is like a rooster's crow. So how does this blind man respond when Jesus calls him? He casts off his cloak. He casts it off. If you think about a few verses earlier where the young man cannot let go of his possessions and he goes away grieving, this blind man casts off the one possession he has, leaves it behind, and goes to Jesus with only what he has on. And when he arrives, Jesus asks him what he would like. Again, this is very different from a recent encounter where disciples try and tell Jesus what he will do for them. Here, Jesus asks the man what he would like. Jesus says, I would like to see again. And then Jesus tells him, go, go, your faith has made you well. Or more literally, your faith has made you whole. In the New Testament, healing is so much more than a physical act. It is an act of restoration. It is wholeness. It is returning a person to their family, to their friends. When you were sick, when you were diseased, you were not allowed to be around others. You were cast out. And so when he is healed, he is made whole. He can once again return to his community. It is so much more than a physical event. But again, this blind man is having the ultimate bones day. He does not listen to what he is told to do. He does not go as Jesus commands. He takes his new sight. He takes his new life, and he follows Jesus with it. He follows the way. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Or maybe more like the words penned by Robert Lowry, my life flows on an endless song above earth's lamentations. I catch the sweet, though far off hymn, that hails a new creation. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Ched Myers, a theologian and pastor who has written extensively about Mark and finds most of his faith in this Bartimaeus text, writes, that embracing Jesus' call is not a matter of cognitive assent, nor of churchly habits, nor of liturgical or theological sophistication, nor doctrinal correctness, nor of religious piety, nor of any other poor substitutes that we Christians have conjured throughout the ages. Rather, discipleship is, at its core, a matter of whether or not we really want to see to see our weary world as it truly is, without denial or delusion, and to see our beautiful world as it truly could be, free of despair or distraction. Discipleship invites us to apprehend life in its deepest trauma and its greatest ecstasy in order that we might live into God's vision of the pain and the promise. When we want to see are we willing to leave Jericho? Are we willing to cry out the truth even when our cries are hushed or considered inconvenient or even dangerous? And when we do encounter Jesus, are we willing to cast off our cloaks and follow him, knowing that true wholeness can only be found on the way that is his way? 
Are we willing to see? Father Gillick has been the director of the Degman Center for Ignatian Spirituality for more than 30 years, and he is blind. He lost his sight when he was eight years old. He cannot use his eyes, but he will tell you he sees very clearly. Even though he's never heard, he's never seen the campus where he teaches, he says, I've touched it, I've heard it, I've smelled it, and once I sense something, I see it. Father Gillick has many times told a story about something that he carries with him every day, a time when he went to teach a class in an elementary school, a third grade class. After his introduction, one of the students couldn't help herself. She blurted, and I might suggest she cried out, you're blind. Father Gillick, who had experienced this reaction before, responded, well, that's not news to me. What he was not accustomed to was what this student had to say next. She replied, this time a little bit quieter, that means you don't know what you look like. She paused and then she concluded, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. Father Gillick has carried those words with him every day. You're beautiful. You are beautiful, and we know that there is seeing and there is seeing. Jesus invites us to see beauty and hope and possibility in others and in ourselves, to cast off cloaks of unseeing and follow Jesus the way, his way. That following begins with knowing that we are beautiful and that we are called by our Jesus. So how can we keep from singing? How can we keep from seeing? Indeed, Alleluia and Amen. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage, as Jesus 
And the crowd said to the blind man, have courage, hold on to what is good, return no one evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people, love and serve God. And may the God of hope fill us with such joy and peace in believing that we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Alleluia. Amen.